Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. The Detroit Lions may very well be the second best team in the NFC. Yeah, we're here now. Also, the Orioles are staring at an early playoff exit if they lose just one more game after a 100-win season. And Jordan Love took a trip to Las Vegas. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. Today's episode is brought to you by Jace Medical. Empower yourself when you purchase a Jace case, providing you with a personal supply of five antibiotics that treat 50 or more infections. Get yours today at jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Once upon a time, the cowardly lion asked, what do they got that I ain't got? The answer, of course, was courage. Dan Campbell and these Detroit Lions do not lack for courage after a 42-24 to beatdown of the Carolina Panthers. They are 4-1, and one, and they've scored 30 or more in three of their last four games. Matt Derry from Locked On Lions joins me now. And Matt, after the Cowboys got pantsed on national television Sunday night, I'm going to ask it this way. When you look around the NFC at non-49ers teams, what do they got that the Lions ain't got? No, Pete, uh, I, I, I think right now, and Peter King wrote it this morning too, it's San Francisco, it's Philly, then it's the Lions. It is. And, and, and I'm not some shill for the team or a homer, even though I host the show. I, I truly believe it. They're playing very good, complimentary football right now. And think about this. I know Carolina is terrible, all right? Poor Julian Council. But like, seriously, no Brian Branch. No Amon Ross St. Brown, no Jameer Gibbs. Manuel Mosley plays two snaps. He snaps his other ACL, and they blow out Carolina. They're just playing really good football right now. It starts with a quarterback, coaching staff. I mean, Ben Johnson's putting on a clinic as offensive coordinator, and then they're in a good rhythm right now. What, what is it about Ben Johnson? What is it about the way Jared Goff is playing? Jared Goff was lights out in this game. Three touchdowns, no interceptions, a 132 quarterback rating. What makes them so malleable right now? I just think they play with a lot of confidence uh, and it all starts up front. I know, you know, back in the day when you and I were in high school in the nineties and two, the early two thousands, I don't want to date you, but I'm, I'm 50. Now the coaches used to always say, you know, it starts in the trenches and you got to block and tackle. Well, the lions are doing the basics. Their offensive line is really, really good. Their defensive line. This is something that not many people realize their D line and their run defense through the first five games is holding opponents to 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 a low number, the lowest number since the 1930s. All right. Wow. And I'm not saying it's a dominant run defense. And who knows? Next week they could go to Tampa Bay and uh, you know, it could be the, the ghosts of Dunn and Allstad that, that could run it up against them. But honestly, they're stopping the run, running the ball, and blocking for their quarterback. And it's just basics like that. It's not like they have Justin Jefferson on the outside or or, or, or uh, the kid from uh, the Dolphins rookie running back or Tyreek Hill that's putting up all these video game numbers. It's just solid complimentary football with blocking and tackling. And their focus was great yesterday because like you said, all those guys out, look, they could look ahead to the Tampa game in Tampa this Sunday where they move yep. it to 425 and everything. Instead, they were focused on beating up on a winless team and that's exactly what they did. So just to put a finer point on it, when you look around the NFC, I mean, is there, I, I came into this going, is Detroit the second best team in the NFC? Because I feel like, I feel like they certainly have a case. Now, San Francisco right now seems like they're in a tier by themselves, 
But I think you can make a good case. The Lions are the second best team in the NFC right now. You could. I, I still would say Philly's there. I mean, Philly's not played all that well, and they're still 5-0. and uh, Jalen Hurts can do special things, especially when he's flush from the pocket, something Jared Goff cannot do. But again, Goff's jersey's been clean for weeks now because the offensive line has done such a good job. And because they've run the football, David Montgomery, over 100 yards in back-to-back games and a touchdown first line running back to do that since Kevin Jones years ago. So that sets up the pass game. And um, yeah, you I guess you could make an argument and, and something maybe I'll throw out on the shows this week about Lions and Eagles. But look, I think Detroit likes where they're sitting right now. Their focus is to win this division, get that home playoff game for the first time since 93. Uh, uh, you remember Favre to Sterling Sharp. And then we'll see, we'll go from there. And I think that their focus remains just doing that. Little things, kicking game's been good. Punter, Jack Box, kicker Riley Patterson have been great. So everything seems to be clicking right now. I think too, if you look at the Eagles schedule, they beat a bunch of teams that at least right now do not look like they are great teams. The Lions have wins over the Patriots, over this, or excuse me, over the Chiefs and a different dynastic team. <laughs> and over the, the Seattle Seahawks, both of them look like pretty solid playoff teams at this point. So if you're going to make the case for the Lions, that, that's another good one right there. Stay up to date all year on the Detroit Lions by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Lions on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Coming up, the Orioles are up against the ropes much earlier in the playoffs than they expected to be. Before we get to that, the Vikings are being cautious with Justin Jefferson. Modern medical care and treatment are important, but our global supply chains are fragile. Things like pandemics, natural disasters, and foreign travel may cut you off from the treatment you need. Jace Medical wants you to be prepared. That's why they're offering the Jace Case. The Jace Case provides five life-saving antibiotics for emergency use. Just fill out their online form and one of their board-certified physicians will review it to determine whether medications are safe and appropriate. Then they send your prescriptions to one of their partner pharmacies where your Jace order will be filled and mailed directly to your home. You will also be able to send your physician a message for questions to treatment-related questions any time. You will also be able to send your physician a message for answers to treatment-related questions any time. Everyone should be empowered to care for themselves and their loved ones during the unexpected. Save more than $360 by getting these life-saving antibiotics with Jace Medical, plus an additional $20 off by using my code LOCKEDON at checkout on jacemedical.com. That's J-A-S-E medical.com. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. Minnesota Vikings coach Kevin O'Connell is being cautious with injured superstar Justin Jefferson. O'Connell said, we're going to have to medically make a good decision and help almost protect him from his health a little bit in a way where we've got to take care of him and get him back 100%. Jefferson suffered the injury when he slipped while making a cut during a route in Sunday's 27-20 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs for the Vikings. He was out for the Vikings' final 21 offensive snaps. That's big considering Jefferson has never missed an NFL game and has played 92% of the team's offensive snaps since entering the starting lineup in week three of 2020. And speaking of scintillating offensive players, Devon Achain may be dealing with a knee injury. The electric Dolphins running back is being evaluated for one, according to Miami coach Mike McDaniel. The severity yet to be determined, and McDaniel declined to say whether the rookie would miss time or was undergoing an MRI. A-Chain suffered the injury during Sunday's victory against the New York Giants, although the coach declined to specify exactly when it occurred. A-Chain ran for a buck 51 and a touchdown on just 11 carries against New York, his third straight game with at least 100 yards rushing and a touchdown. 
Another Jets player tore his Achilles and will miss the remainder of the season. New York Jets right tackle Elijah Vera Tucker suffered the injury in the same stadium he suffered last year's season-ending injury in, in Power Field at Mile High. He was injured on a benign play. He was pass-blocking against linebacker Jonathan Cooper and tore the tendon on a routine backpedal on a grass field. By the end of the season, he will have missed 23 of 51 games in his career. And on the diamond, the Braves had to get a win at home against the Phillies to even the NLDS before the series shifts to Philadelphia. Michael Harris II racing back to the wall on a blast by Nick Castellanos in right center field, leaps against the wall, makes the catch, triggers it in, gets it to the infield where somehow Austin Riley finds the ball or the ball found Austin Riley. He got it back over to first. Bryce Harper was racing around second and got caught off first, couldn't get back after Harris made the catch, and that was how this game ended. It followed, of course, the dramatic home run by Austin Riley in the eighth. I don't want to sell him short. I don't want to bury the lead, but this was an incredible comeback, and the likes of which I don't know that we've ever seen in the postseason. You know, walk-off home runs are exciting, but this is a play where you got to have two thrilling moments. One, you had the incredible catch by Michael Harris up against the wall. Just, I mean, incredible. You get it back in, it gets by two players Austin Riley happens to be there, backhands it on a short hop, and is able to fire over a seed to Matt Olson to end the game. And you have another uproar by the crowd, which I've watched all the videos out there, every angle you could. It's just the incredible reaction from yep. the fans in that moment. I mean, it's just, again, something I don't think we've ever seen before. I know I have in a game ending like that. It's just, it was crazy. I mean, the, the Braves were, were dead to rights for most of this series and most of this game and in those last two innings Riley Homer and then that play to end it just completely flipped the momentum of this series in the Braves favor here is another story you need to know this was supposed to be the season in Baltimore after a 100 win campaign they were supposed to be celebrating with Natty Bow and Blue Crab instead they enter Tuesday's game facing elimination in the ALDS Connor Newcomb from Locked On Orioles joins me now and, and Connor, how did this team go from, hey, look, the O's to, oh, no? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's tough because you look around baseball and, and it's not just happened to the O's right now. There's a lot of discourse about, you know, is five days too much of a layoff? Does it actually hurt these better teams? Yeah. But really, when you think about it, does two games, you know, really define a 100-win team? But also, two games, anything can really happen to a team no matter how well you've played in the regular season. And... For the Orioles, it hasn't been like one narrative. In game one, they pitched extremely well, and the bats never woke up, and they lost three to two. And then in game two, they hit the cover off the ball and didn't get anybody out and lost 11 to eight. And so they're going to have to put two things together on each side to win a game here and just stay alive. But it does kind of feel like this team just, I don't want to say wasn't ready, but wasn't expecting what exactly a postseason baseball game looks like. I wanted to ask you about that because at midseason, I don't think even the most optimistic Orioles fan thought, oh yeah, this team is going to win 101 games. Like that just did not seem like it was going to be in the card. So how do you parse, hey, maybe the regular season, they outplayed expectations and maybe played a little bit over their head, or at least we thought it would be a year before they got to this place with, well, but they won 100 games, and so they should be playing better in the postseason. How do you balance those two right now? It's so tough because, like, you know, say they lose game three, right, and they get swept out, out of the playoffs, and say they play an okay baseball game, they just lose. 
you know, when you compare 162 games to three games, you should really take much more stock in 162 games. But that is not how sports work, Mm -mm. especially in Major League Baseball, especially in the U.S. in general. You are graded by the postseason. And even if it's just three games and three somewhat close games where you did some good things, if you go out like that, especially if you get swept out like that, it is really, really tough to parse out the few things. And Orioles fans will always remember this season, no matter what, going from 110 wins to two years later, or 110 losses, I should say, two years later to 101 wins. But those memories are always going to be bookended by what happened in this postseason. Because once you get that bye to the ALDS, like you're only three wins away from being in the league championship series. And then you're you're with three other teams remaining. Like anybody can win the World Series at that point. It's going to be very, very tough. It was a lot of good in the regular season, but I think what's going to happen now is people are going to pick apart the ways in which the Orioles did get lucky this year. They certainly mm-hmm. did. You know, their real record was probably more like a 94 95 win team, but they ended up winning 101 games because there was luck on their side. That probably won them the division versus being the wild card team. Those things I think are going to get picked apart a little more than they were when we were just flying high in the regular season. It does also raise questions, and there has been a lot of hashtag discourse about this, about baseball's the ultimate large sample size, right? 162 games. We're supposed to know who the best teams are. That's a lot of games to tell us, and yet in the postseason, we saw we if, if the Orioles lose, we're going to already have multiple division winners go out. The, the Brewers didn't even make it past their opening series against the Diamondbacks, and, and so where do you where do you come down on this idea of, weeks to the postseason so that maybe we reflect better the 162 games played in the regular season yeah you know I'm honestly as a as a fan and a podcaster of a team that won 101 games and is now down 0-2 to a team that blew through the wild card series <laughs> I am not super mad about the playoff format right now right. I get where people are coming from like like the Braves look lost and they were clearly the best team in baseball all season I mean bar none I don't feel like anybody was really close to them for points this season and they look lost against the Phillies. And so I get the point, right? Like did those five days completely hurt them? This other team got to play where I see it is. I think it's a weird year where all four wildcard series went only two games. Nobody went to a third game. Nobody had to use a third starting pitcher. Nobody had to dig into their bullpen for a game three and every single wildcard team still got, you know, two days off after that wildcard series. So they really got a break too. So I think it's a weird year where in most years you would think some of these series are going to go to three games and are going to give the team with a buy a, a much bigger advantage. I will say, though, I think it's becoming clear that the one game wildcard playoff when it was just five playoff teams in each league put the wildcard teams at much more of a disadvantage because you would play that one game, you'd have one day off and then boom, you were right into the DS. There is a lot more off days built in. It's an entertainment product. I get it. But I think that's where the one qualm would be. Stay up to date on the Baltimore Orioles by subscribing to Locked On Sports today and Locked On Orioles on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, Jordan Love and the Packers took a trip to the desert. I'm starting to worry about the Packers offense. And I loved the way that they built this thing. It's young. It's talented. It's pedigreed. You got a first round pick at quarterback. You've got two high second round picks 
in the slot. Luke Musgrave and Jaden Reed. You've got Christian Watson, another high second round pick. Romeo Dobbs showed a lot of flashes as a rookie. A, an offensive line with a ton of young talent, albeit without David Bakhtiari, who's out for the season. They're going to grow together. Why don't more teams try this? And the answer is because against a bad Raiders defense on Monday night, guys are running the wrong routes. They're not giving great effort. No one can block Max Crosby. And they don't have anything they can major in. They don't have a third and six play. We know we can run this when we have to have it. That's a Jordan Love problem. That's a Matt LaFleur problem. That's a Brian Gutekind's problem. That's a Christian Watson problem. That's a no Aaron Jones problem. Injuries are a part of the story here too. But through five games, this experiment with this young offense, it started out pretty great. You beat the brakes off Chicago. That looks great. You beat your rivals. You get to say, oh, the deed transfers. Jordan Love still owns Aaron Rodgers. Isn't this awesome? And then you blow a two-score lead in the fourth quarter against the Atlanta Falcons with a defense that is supposed to be the strength of the team, at least from a veteran standpoint, with Jair Alexander and Kenny Clark and Devondre Campbell and Darnell Savage and Russell Douglas. The defense is supposed to be what carries the team while Jordan Love and this young offense figure it out. They blow it. You lose a game. Jordan Love, 17 points down in the fourth quarter. They come back. They stun the New Orleans Saints. A pretty, a pretty good team. A pretty solid team. They get the win and you go, oh, look look at the plays Jordan Love is making to Jaden Reed, the rookie. Wow. They did it without Aaron Jones. They did it without Christian Watson. They did it without David Bakhtiari against a really, really good defense. They can hang with the Detroit Lions if they play like this. And then they got dog walked by the Lions. Now, maybe that's not a big deal. Maybe the Lions are one of the two or three best teams in the NFC. And it's just no shame to get beat up by that team with an identity with an established culture, with a quarterback that everyone can look to and say, we know what that guy is. Even if Jared Goff is not Patrick Mahomes, they know what they can do with him. They can run the hell out of an offense with that guy and they know what they can get to. They know where their bread is buttered and they've got guys like Amon Ross St. Brown who on third and four can just get them a play or with him gone, they can dial up enough cute stuff to get Sam Laporta free, to get David Montgomery free. They can win in the trenches consistently, can the Packers? Right now, this experiment has gone from cute, encouraging, exciting even, to, oh, maybe this is why teams don't do this. And it's starting to raise questions about Jordan Love, about this approach, and about Matt LaFleur, who I thought was going to be able to cure more of what ailed this team to date, and he hasn't. It's early. It's not even Halloween. But when we start to creep into fall, when the weather starts to turn, when it becomes full-on sweater weather, if this offense still hasn't clicked in a more consistent way, there's going to be some difficult questions being asked around 1265 Lombardi. And finally, Bears head coach Matt Eberflus said Monday that he plans to continue calling defensive plays but is looking to hire a senior defensive analyst to help with advanced scouting of Chicago's future opponents. 
The coach said he'd been looking at a few candidates in hopes to find someone with knowledge of the Tampa 2 system Chicago runs and experience with other schemes. This is just giving me some office space vibes with the two Bobs asking each employee, what is it that you do here? I don't know, maybe the Bears should just hire a defensive coordinator. Call me crazy. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up on the next Locked On Sports today, will the Twins or Astros get the upper hand? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today.